No, we, we are glad to be here. Um, we are two minutes past the hour. Um, we are at about 80 people and growing. So we have a, we have a big breakout session. Um, some of you, I may pass it over to you for us to get started. Yes, let's do it. Welcome, everyone. Um, as folks are trickling in, we're going to quickly do a quick introduction. There's 80 of us, so we're going to drop it in the chat. If you can get, tell us your name, your pronouns, where you're joining us from, and fill in the blank for this question. I am the sound of blank. And you can interpret that how you want. What are you feeling today? Who is your essence? If we could just drop that in the chat to get to know each other a little bit. And Samia, while folks are dropping in the chat, we should go ahead and introduce ourselves as well. Let's do it. I'll start. My name is Samia Mirza. I am the managing director at WeCollab. My pronouns are she, her. I am um, joining today from Houston, Texas, where it is still warm and no sight of fall. Um, and I am the sound of a rhythmic house music festival with lots of great sounds coming from a lot of different places, um, but there's a rhythm going on in my head right now. So that's the sound I'm feeling. How about you, Nyobli? Well, well, good afternoon, everyone. I'm so excited about this discussion. Uh, and yes, it's gonna be a discussion and a dialogue. It's 80 of us, but doesn't mean we can't engage. And so we're both gonna keep our eyes on the chat today to make this engaging. Um, I'm Neobly, I'm on the fourth. I'm the founder and the principal we collab. Uh, I'm also in Houston. Um, uh, I am the sound. I'm looking at some of the things in the chat. I'm, I'm going with the water vibes. Like I'm the sound of raindrops on a car windshield and the windshield wiper is going as the water is hitting me. Uh, I'm sure that's an analogy for something greater, but that's the most I'm gonna share now. Uh, and you know, I'll just say a few words about We Collab before we dive in. So we are um, a professional service group. You know, we're a social change organization. We provide professional services to help organizations operationalize ex equity. Like that is our business, making it real, making it tangible, making it measurable in some instances. Uh, but that's what we do. Um, and we're very, very excited to be engaged in this discussion today. Great, and I appreciate everyone's um, entries trickling. We, we got people from all over the place, Nairobi, Chicago, California, North Carolina. So welcome to everyone from all over the world here. Um, as we get started here, we wanted to make sure we did do a land acknowledgement and um, we're doing this for twofold. One, because it's important. Two, because we felt like it's a great way to um, create a learning opportunity um, for something that can be integrated into your work if you don't already do this. Um, so we, because Neobly and I are in Houston, Texas, we are in the land of the Atacapa Ishak. Um, they were the people from the Gulf Coast of Louisiana and Texas. Um, they, the, their name really translates to the people um, and they further designated themselves within the tribe as the Sunrise People and the Sunset People. Um, they still have descendants that live in Louisiana and in Texas. So we honor the land that we're speaking to you from today. All right, so we want to get started here. We know we're here to talk about, um, you know, you, you put out a statement last year, so now what? Um, before we jumped into that directly, we did want to share a little bit of the work that we've done with the communications network on DEI and give you some context and background on that as well. Um, so we, we worked very, very closely with the communications network over almost a year and a half of a project um, back in starting in 2019. Um, and we were really seeking to ask or to answer the question, how can foundation and nonprofit communicators improve racial equity through their work? And so that was really like the thesis of the, of the work that we did with the communications network. I hope that you all can go to the website here um, that we've, we have listed for a whole lot of tools on DEI comms to learn more about that. Um, but to just give you a little bit of background on that project, we conducted an environmental scan um, within the landscape of the social sector. We conducted a survey, we had key informant interviews, and we aggregated all of this information to really figure out how can we provide tools to communicators out in the field that are trying to talk about different issues of DEI, right? How can you talk from a space of DEI and how can you talk about DEI? 
And so using all of this information is what we really built these tools out on. And we wanted to share a few of the key findings that we, we had in the surveys as it related to communicators. So the survey, and I have to say the survey was back in 2019. So this is before George Floyd and BLM movement. So I think a lot has changed since then. And, and that's you know what we're here to talk about. Um, but what we did find in the survey was that 43% of folks in communications teams said that their organizations did not have a clearly defined DEI value or goal. 56% of folks said that DEI was not an explicit component of their organization's communication strategy. And that 58% said that they feel they do not have a strong understanding of DEI concepts. And so um, we are redoing the survey. And so we're hoping that these numbers are going to shift. But I think that what this really told us is that there's a lot of opportunity within communications teams to really work in and in, in hone in on DEI um, as a strategy for comms. Neil, anything to add here before we jump? Nope, all good. All right. Um, a few other key findings was that the role of racism is mostly absent from available DEI resources for communicators. So it's not to say that the role of racism isn't talked about, but as it particularly um, is included in comms resources, we found that that was um, a gap in the field, that organizations have very different definitions of DEI and communicators may not have a good understanding of these concepts. So um, from organization to organization, or even within organization, a lot of folks have different and varying definitions. And the third was that multicultural messaging promotes diversity. Some people do not see themselves reflected in the message. Um, and so, you know, that specific finding was really around um, how do we how do we create spaces where we're talking about different races and ethnicities, and then what what gets lost in that when we're when we're talking about um, aggregate people, right? People of color, BIPOC, um, what gets lost there and when we're, when we're talking about um, like aggregating different types of groups of people. And then the last was the lack of data and metrics on effective racial equity communications as a serious information gap that needs to be addressed. And, and we're hoping that in the last two years, the field has caught up a bit in that, but there wasn't a lot of research in particular about how um, DEI or how uh, racial equity communications can actually impact DEI work in the field. So that's a little bit about the tool itself. Um, please do go take a look at it. There are nine different specific tools that we developed um, to really hone in on the needs of the communicator. Um, it was built in a way to, for you all to be able to jump in as you're doing your daily activity and as you're doing your daily work to have a resource and a place to go um, gather information and, and um, really utilize in your day-to-day -day work. I think the other important thing to just mention about this tool is that we have a perspective that communicators should not be on the sidelines. And so when you often think about the place in your organization where this work around racial equity sits, it's usually a committee. There's a ton of engagement and interaction with programmatic staff and managers doing work in the field. Uh, but communications are between what's happening in the field and often communicators are translating it for leadership to communicate. And so the whole impetus of this project is that the communicator can actually be a central place of change management in the organization, not only to better uncover these topics, but to actually level set for the entire organization. And so you'll hear us talk a lot about the role of the communicator, the role of the communicator, because we know we're at a point in time that, that communicators can't be neutral on these issues anymore. If anything, people are looking to the communications team for direction, whether the communicators have it or not. And so this tool is designed to be additive, to be actionable. But as Samia mentioned, this was developed pre-COVID, pre-George Floyd. And so there's a lot of updates that can be made to it, given how much the landscape has changed in the past 18 to 24 months. And when we're referring to the tool, um, the website, um, and Samia, maybe we should just put the website in a chat group for everyone. Um, it, it is a comment tool that we developed um, with the other uh, equity working group on the board, which Tanya and Norris and others were part of. Uh, but it, it is a comment tool and, and lives in that site right now. We were just a firm or one of the firms that were contracted to lead on the project development. Yeah, great. 
All right. So you made an equity statement last year. So now what? Um, Neil, I'll let you actually jump in here on these next few slides. So, so if the title sounds provocative, it's exactly designed to be provocative. Um, the entire world shifted, um, you know, in 2019 and 2020, we were dealing with racial unrest. Floyd, we we're so having frame communication organizations and communication people across the country were immediately activated, immediately activated to say, so let's put out a statement. And, and we saw boards of directors meet overnight. We saw lots of communication professionals reaching out to us, trying to figure out what to articulate. And, and the question for us is not so much to why a statement was written, because we could spend three hours debating about the, the ethics around that. Some people thought it was a morally right thing to do. Some, some said they didn't want to be on the wrong side of history. Some were like, it's finally time where maybe you've been advocating for your organization to talk about these. Uh -oh. All right. Hey, Neil, are you back? Okay, that was a, that was a, yeah, that was a glitch in the matrix. All right, all um, good. Hopefully there's not too many more. Um, or you were someone in your organization Neil, who was advocating for change. Regardless your audio is going in and out just a little bit. Maybe if you want to turn off your camera just to, to save bandwidth, we'll be able to right. hear you at least. Log, log out and back in first. Already. Okay, I think we can hear you well now. We'll give him just a moment to log back in and out. Okay, I'm just going to jump in. I'm going to stay off camera and wait for the matrix to, to even out. Um, but regardless of why you made a statement, the, the question is, like, now what? What are the steps that should happen now? This is no longer the top of news lines. Um, it, it's maybe still the top of conversation in, in a few book clubs, but the world is starting to normalize. And I use normalize also to be provocative because we're going back to a lot of what we were doing before this heightened moment around racial equity. So one of the things we want to engage with you all today is in a discussion, if you're going to examine the now what, what are the do's and the don'ts of that? What should be the priorities? Like, what are the origin points? What are the actionable things that communication professionals to actually answer the question, so you put out a statement, so now what? So that's what we wanna engage with you all today. That's what we're gonna talk about. Um, we're gonna have lots of questions towards the end, but, but there's a lot that could be done now, especially with what we now know. And, and so I, I, one thing is, I mean, if you go to the next slide, that I just want everyone to kind of pay attention to is Bridgespan and PolicyLink put out a report. If you have not seen it, you should go read it in its entirety, not just the executive summary. And what this report finds is that of all the commitments that were made, remember there were both private philanthropy and corporate philanthropy that made a ton of commitments to racial equity. Um, these were, this is part of what some of these statements were about. Folks were investing dollars. They were gonna hire chief equity officers. They were gonna diversify their board. They were thinking about their leadership. And we even saw some leaders of legacy uh, organizations step down. But the aftermath of all that, what we found is that most of that money hasn't even been reported. We actually don't know if the majority of those commitments have been made, if those funds have been given out, and, 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 and to who they have went to. And so that's, that's another reason for us to have this discussion, because you actually may be in one of those organizations that, that made a commitment and then went back to business as usual. We want to use this dialogue today to almost serve as transformational space. How can, how can you as a communicator in your organization be the catalyst 
for either getting funding out the door, for creating a new process, or for opening up the organization in a way that it previously wasn't. Uh, but I think Bridgespan and, and Polly Stilling's report is just a, a, a sign of the unintended consequences of putting out statements, but without having any structured plan or strategy about what to do. Yeah, so if you, great question, Krista. So if you go to the report, um, there's a, a database called Candid um, where a lot of philanthropic commitments get reported to. And so uh, they have the, the um, their methodology listed um, in the executive summary on the site of what report it means and what it doesn't. Um, but some of you just dropped the link in there. So definitely go. We're not going to dive into it a lot today. That's why I'm encouraging everyone to go read it. But it is it is an interesting read. And, and I know everyone doesn't use this database. And so it's only it's based off who the year before reported. Uh, that's an annual reporting mechanism that foundations use to talk about where the money is going and to what issue it's on. Yeah, I'd like to add, I think um, if we kind of stop and are honest with ourselves as organizations and kind of as a field in general, when when the moment came in 2020 and we were being asked to write these statements of solidarity and, and vocalize, you know, our commitment to the work, there wasn't necessarily a full-on strategy behind that work actually happening. It was very much of a, we need to let folks know we're putting a stake in the ground that this is important to us. But then there was a lot of back end work that needed to happen after that. And so I think what's happening now and what this report is really saying is, well, did anything ever even happen, right? Did organizations actually stop and go back and do that back end work? Um, and, and are they telling us about it? Are they sharing their experience? Are they sharing their journey? And, and that's kind of what's what now folks are in a space to say, well, now what, right? Like, you did that, but what was that backend work that ended up happening? So a few things that, that kind of three major categories for the marketing and communications team that we really felt we wanted to hone in on in this conversation was that there's internal stakeholders, external stakeholders, and then your actual marketing and communications teams that you first and foremost do have a lot of control over in terms of what you can do moving forward. We're going to get into like the programmatic organizational strategy and what you can do there to influence that. But we wanna first focus on the marketing comms piece of it. Um, and, and a big, big, big piece of this is your internal stakeholders within your organizations, right? I think now more than ever, your staff is, is demanding and saying, well, we put out the statement, we said we were going to start doing these equitable strategies and racial justice, and we were going to you know, change what was important to our organization, but I'm not seeing any changes internally, right? Like as a staffer, I'm not seeing what's happening. Um, and so we, we do have to, to understand that the message around, so now what, isn't just an external message. It is just as important for it to be an internal message. Um, and so a couple of pointers here on, on what can be done around that. So one is developing an internal communication strategy to share all of the actions the organization has taken, small or large. So what we're seeing with a lot of um, organizations is there is work actually happening, but it's happening in pockets or it's happening with the strategy team or it's happening within you know, HR, or it's happening in training, and not everyone is privy to the full picture of it. And so some folks might be like, well, we just had two trainings and that's all I'm seeing and hearing, not understanding that there is a lot of other work happening. And so there, there should be almost an audit that the Marcom team is able to do of all of the work that's happening and create a strategy to really share that internally, share that journey with staffers because they don't all know, right? They're not all privy to it. Um, the second thing is to continue to uplift the conversation of equity and racial justice within your organization. Um, I think Neobly said earlier that the, the height of the moment has passed. The importance maybe hasn't, but like, it's like a news cycle, right? There's now there's a new news and there's something else that we're focusing on and it's our 2022 budget and our strategy and, and things kind of just move on. Right. And so it's up to the marketing and communications department to keep this ever present, to keep this important, to keep it in front of people. And so whether that's through within your newsletters, you know, highlighting certain topics or issues, whether that's, um, you know, connecting back to what's happening in, in um, 
current events, whatever that is, it, it is up to us to continue this conversation and keep it top of mind for folks. Yeah. And then the last thing is creating opportunities for leadership to continue to share their vision and future plans around this as well, right? I think, like I said, folks went into kind of planning mode of, oh no, we put out this statement. Like, what does that actually mean for us now? Like, do we have to change our grant system? Do we have to change who we're working with? And so there is a lot happening. And I think leadership needs that opportunity to, to share that vision internally with their staff um, to let them know what the plan actually is. And I just want to I want to talk about internal communications a little more, because being in the communications department, you have to leverage whatever the asset is in the organization. So very few organizations have assets equitably dispersed to do this work. Usually there's a committee, you know, there, there's someone who I'm using quotes, you can't see because my camera is off. There's someone who gets it and they're always speaking up in the meeting and everyone else is kind of afraid to jump in. Often it's a person of color from a priority population that is sitting with the work. The role of the communicators should be to understand the dynamic within your organization around equity and then use an internal communication strategy either to build your leadership up and so find ways to use what's happening within the organization to educate your CEO, to educate your board members or vice versa. Use the, use conversations at the board level to influence how this is spread across the organization. And so this internal communication strategy we're talking about is not just you know, you know, just what you can add to the newsletter. It's about finding where the capacity is in at the organization to either build direction, to build more capacity at the leadership level or to get more traction amongst um, amongst your colleagues for this work. Can we talk? Um, so I, I just want to uplift. We're going to do this as we go. We're going to have time for questions at the end, but I love the, the, the interaction. So we have a question. Can we talk about why that it's important for the Marcon teams versus the executive team to be the driving force for internal comms and equity and racial justice, especially if your Marcon team is scrappy or doesn't have all the actions or taken, et cetera? Um, so, so there's there's a number of reasons for this. So let, let, let's just be really, really candid and honest. This is ComNet, like this is the premier network. In fact, I'm gonna see if I can come off camera to say this. Let's just, let's just delve within facts for a second. The majority of nonprofit leaders in this country are predominantly white people. Uh, and not only are they white, but they're white of a certain age demographic over the age of 45. So overnight, we are expecting all the majority leaders who most of them are baby, when some of them are Generation X to immediately say the right thing. And that's not, that's, not, that's not practical. Maybe they haven't engaged with it. They haven't done their own self journey. They haven't done their learning, which is why the expectation of the executive team is find out where they are. If they're there, empower them, put them forward. If they're not there, it is the job of the Marcon team to get them there because it's, it's unacceptable to not be there anymore. There is a, there is a base level set of language and definitions and understandings and empathy that leaders who work in the social good space should be able to talk about this work. If, if you're seeing that your leader can't talk about it, or if you're seeing that they're taking things out of speeches or remarks that you're making, like that, that's the teachable moment. Like, like that's, that's the capacity building exercise is to move them along. And, and it's beyond inviting them to like the book club in the neighborhood. It's about saying, hey, we put out a statement like, like, let's talk about where the data is just on disparities in general, which we know across the board, there's, there's data to support this. Like, how are we, how are we etching them along? And, and, it's, and it's not a discussion about incrementalism. It's a discussion about, like, if, if you don't master, like, this, this is another thing that we talk a lot about at We Collab. Like, this work is no longer, like, optional or even just a moral thing to do. Like, like this is now the, the base level. Like if you're gonna be a communications professional working in the 21st century in the United States of America or abroad, you kind of need to know these skills. So it's no longer like I feel bad or, you know, I, I read this book and I, like this is now professional development one-on-one. And so you have to go back, you have to put yourself back in school. Like think about what makes you a communications professional. Think about your training. And, and if you're not willing to say or commit to, I'm building capacity to talk about racial equity, equivalent with being a good communications professional, then maybe you should be looking for a different profession. Because we, we can't undo our history. We can't undo our data. 
Like, like, like we see what's happening around the country, this moment we're all living through. There's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of pain. You know, John Powell's perspective on bridging and breaking is real. And so the way to get out of that, the way to build capacity is to make sure your executive leaders is, 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 on, is, is, is on par with where the rest of the field is going. And so I, I don't, I don't want to belabor that point, but I, I think it's a good question. It's like, like why, is the, why is the marketing and comms team leading versus leadership? Well, we know leadership isn't there. It's just not. Um, so I, I digress. We'll, we'll get back on path because I'm, I'm mindful of time. And, and please put more questions in, in the chat because we, we want to be responsive because our whole ethos is that we have to have actionable discussions. Like we can no longer talk about equity and allegory. Like the question is, like it's, it goes back to why we're having this discussion. You put out a statement, okay, what are you going to do? What are the tools that you have? Where are the assets in the organization to move? There's plenty of time to do self journey uh, and, and personal development, but we're not moving along, like getting us further along because we know the stakes are high for this work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one, I do want to add one thing there of, of like why marketing and communications is the one that should be leading on this is in order for this work to be effective and continue to move minds, hearts, money, resources to where it needs to be, we're going to have to be really sophisticated about how we're talking about this work, how we're winning the hearts and minds. And that's what you all are good at. You all are storytellers and you all know how to use words. And, and there's so much power in that. And so as we're trying to move people across a continuum, we're also trying to move communities and political leaders and advocates. And we're trying to bring, you know, society along on this journey. And that's where your superpowers really come in, right? And that's where I feel like communicators have so much power to lead in this because of your ability to do the storytelling and change minds and hearts. I want to jump in to the external um, kind of piece of this and, and the, the external, um, uh, almost what folks are expecting, right? And, and how you can implement your promises and what, it, what it's intended to impact. So, or I'm sorry, your external audience wants to know how you're implementing your promises and what the intended impact is going to be. So you made this statement about all of the ways that you're going to become an ally and the ways that you're going to promote and support and um, contribute. And so some of the pointers here is one, developing an external communication strategy that's articulating the internal work. So one of the biggest things that we're seeing in clients is they're really scared to put out any further information or statement because it's not all baked. It's not all there. We don't have our final strategy yet. We want to come. We're afraid if we don't show up with like the five things we're going to do, then we're going to get roasted like out in the field, right? But I think what is more true and what people really want to see and what folks are looking out for is the authenticity of knowing that you're going on this journey, right? So being able to communicate and say, we haven't figured it all out yet, but these are the steps that we've taken internally. These are the things that we're doing. This is the mark that we think that we're going towards. And what that does is one, it shows people that, that you are working on it, you are taking it seriously. Two, it's a learning experience for other organizations in the field, right? To understand like, what does the journey look like? What does it take? Oh, these folks tried this out. Maybe we can try it out as well. And I think the third thing it does is it actually invites a dialogue, right? Where if you can start saying our early thinking is X because of these things that we did, you're inviting some feedback, um, to say, well, maybe that's not quite hitting the mark or that's not quite the priority that we should be focusing on. And so it could feel a little bit scary um, and vulnerable that you're putting yourself out there like that. But if we're going to, to get this work right, that feedback and that iteration is going to be really important. The second point here is to articulate how your organization plans to address racial equity within its mission and core competency. So the first bullet was really about your journey and what you're doing. The second one is if you've gotten to a place where you can say, these are the pivots we're making, this is how we're actually going to incorporate this within our mission or, or because of who we are and what our mission is, this is our piece of the pie, right? I think the other thing is that folks 
when they first put their statement out, they came out swinging, like we're going to solve racial injustice. We're going to solve all the inequalities, but actually my organization just works on like food and health. And, and that's not a small thing to work on, but that's not necessarily, you're not going to go work on like incarceration and, and wrongful incarceration, right? You're going to work within your food and health systems to work on equity issues. And so I think it is okay to say there's these larger societal issues that are happening. We've taken a look internally and because of who we are and what our mission is, our slice of the pie is this. And this is how we're going to be approaching this very large issue of racial injustice. And, and somebody just to jump in for a second. Please. Not only, not only is our slice of the pie this, but just to acknowledge, we also know and understand intersectionality. We are focused on food and health, but we also understand the environments and the neighborhoods and places in which food and health issues play out in. Just that second bridge to tell people, I see you, like I understand your lived experience. You know, it's we see this often in the public health community, constantly advocating for very specific changes. Like we wanna reduce sugar. There's not a hundred moms in certain communities they are gonna to go to the anti-sugar march. But if you tell those mothers, we see that you're also experiencing um, safety issues for your children. We also understand that the food availability, and then you can pivot back to your issue, but because people and communities are intersectional, they don't respond to singular issues. And so stay focused, as Samia is saying, but let people know that you see the larger context in which they're living in. I think that in and of itself, from a communications perspective, goes a really long way. Um, Jesse put a comment in here about Samia's first point, about like, like what's the format that, that you can like develop communications that articulate, you know, how the work is taking place. It, it, it could be one of those statements, but it, it could be like a, it could be a, another statement, but within that statement, you can say, hey, you're going to hear from us four times this year. Over the next four quarters, we're going to tell you where we are, what we've learned, and, and, and where we may be missing the buck. Like it's just a regular form of communication. It doesn't matter if you're a membership-based network, if you're a foundation, it could be to your grantees. It's just constant, consistent communication that makes this as part of your part of your DNA of how you talk about your work. It's almost like most organizations, and in, in, I'm talking to communicators, so I know you all understand this, like 30% of your job sometimes, or even 50, is an annual report. So the whole organization anchors around what you're gonna tell the field you did for the past 12 months. The, when it comes to racial equity and social justice work, so telling me once a year isn't good enough. So how do you regularly communicate and find the pace? You know, and it doesn't always have to be the written word. It could be a video. Um, it could be how when a grantee is experiencing some of the changes. Maybe you all relaxed um, changes during the COVID-19 crisis and reporting, um, you changed reporting requirements. How did those reporting requirements, how was that received, that flexibility, like what was that experience like for your grantees, and then give them a platform to talk about that. I mean, if we're talking about change in philanthropy, a lot of people did this, but there's not a lot out there that shows how they did it. Like we know, because our, our clients, like like some folks are doing verbal reports, they got rid of the, the you know, they went to... Um, uh, you know, like a like a quarterly, like one form sheet. So you you all like I think that's the some of you said it earlier. I just want to emphasize, like you, we're not going to tell you how to be better communication professionals. We're trying to tell you the dimension of your work that you need to include. You all know how to write. You know how to tell stories. You know how to put out a newsletter. You know how to develop talking points. We want to make sure that the context in which you're doing your work isn't neutral on these things. And so you have the solutions. We're just trying to give you the additive enhancements you could make to make sure that we're not causing more harm or missing this moment and not being uh, authentic. Yeah. Uh, we do have another comment in here from um, Alice about her organization wants to create a specific page on her website to articulate um, the work on health equity, um, but she's struggling with that and calling it out in a separate section. Um, uh, Neil, I'd love to hear your perspective on this. Personally, for me, I feel like it, it can be done either way. I think that integrating it throughout is important, but if there is um, very deliberate values and action steps that are going to be taken in the in the vein of for or sorry in the space of equity and and how you're going to to accomplish an equitable impact 
I think it's okay to, to, to name it, call it out and have it as a separate page. That doesn't bother me so much if it is something that indeed you all are doing. I think some of the things that we have seen is organizations will say, well, everything we do is equity because we're nonprofit and we served underserved communities. And so therefore we don't have to call it out. And so that's also kind of the other extreme of, of having it just so kind of embedded that it then doesn't create the importance for it and the, the central focus of it that it requires. I, I agree totally, Sami. Um, what I would add on and, and thank you all for, for trying to add, I definitely think you should both. Um, I, I, would take a, I would take it a step further. I do it in both places, but have the goal be to eventually, like you gradually have it completely integrated. You need to stuff with it separated so that people know you have that explicit focus, like so that they can see the targeting universalism. Over time, a great example is, is the work that Tanya and a colleague have done. When they started Culture of Health, like they weren't talking as much about equity and race. But over time, we see that in all of Robert Wood in and out. And so there's a landing pages. All right, looks like Neobali nearly got off again. Um, just to finish his sentence that that the culture of health work now is an interwoven piece of of their work across the foundation. Um, so it started off as a standalone project and standalone idea and concept. And then because of that, it shifted culture internally within the organization. And so anchoring on something is a way of shifting that culture and focus of how you do your work. Um, as Neoli is jumping back on, I do wanna finish this last point on this slide is to continue to uplift the issue of racial injustice in your external communications. So just the same as we are in our internal, we, we must in our external as well. There is, uh, Neoli and I, I mean, we do this work every day, but one of our biggest fears is like, the door is closing on this, right? Like people were so excited and ready to jump in and, and now the door feels like it's gonna be closing. And so it's up to us to force it open and keep it open. Keep, you know, keep the stories going just because the, you know, the protests aren't happening. It doesn't mean the injustices aren't happening and that the disparities don't exist. They do, they still do, they're still there. We're just not seeing it in our news anymore. And so it's definitely up to us to make sure that we continue to continue to, to uplift that. The third piece here that I, I did wanna talk about was around taking the opportunity to innovate your marketing and communications teams to be more equity aligned. So um, we're going to talk about like the larger, what the organization is doing to shift and change and how you can support that. But there's a lot that you can do within your teams as well. So we can evaluate your team's knowledge and capacity for racial justice and equity communications. What do people know about it from a personal level to um, the actual issues and concepts? We truly believe that like we come as, as whole individuals into our work. And so we bring in our lived experiences, our perspectives, our biases. And so there's a lot of personal work that has to happen as well, especially as communicators, when you're trying to, to shed light on another um, you know, viewpoint on a situation or another providing more context. And so doing that personal work is super, super important. And so first taking stock on what your team needs and then being able to provide that capacity building um, and training is super important. Um, the second is just kind of really the tactical, like let's reevaluate style guides and language guides and, and take a look at, you know, what types take of perspectives at, you know, do we um, share within our stories and, and what is our tone and what is our voice and who are we centering? Really just doing a very practical um, look at, at the work that your team produces and then adjusting accordingly. The third is hiring staff members with lived experience and perspectives on issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? So obviously we wanna build the current capacity of the team, but let's bring in those different perspectives. Let's bring in people that can um, tell a story from a different vantage point. And so expanding our teams and being able to diversify our teams in, in perspective and thought is super important. Um, the fourth year is to create new processes and opportunities to uplift voices from communities, to present new perspectives, shed light on issues. 
So here I'm really focusing on the process piece of it. For example, when you're going to write a story, what was your typical process? Can we adjust that to make sure that we are, you know, highlighting specific voices from the community? Are we giving enough space and time for that interview to happen? Are we authentically um, uplifting their voice? Or are we putting it in our voice and in our perspective and really centering our organization and putting the people around us, right? So what is the process that we go through to be able to, 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 to center the voices and, and bring the perspective? And the last is that utilizing your power as storytellers to shift the narrative. I mean, I think that that's one of the biggest things, like as I said before, is a superpower that you all have. Um, I, I am jealous of the superpower because I truly feel that the way you're able to uh, articulate the narrative, it's shifting the way people see communities, situations, um, and then what kind of actions then happen, whether that's a policy, whether that's um, you know, it, within an organization, how things change. And so uh, being able to really hone in on your ability to shift the larger narrative is super important. Um, thank you all for your patience. Someone obviously doesn't want this discussion to happen, and I'm not going to go conspiracy theory. I won't name myself on the internet provider. Um, but the one thing I just want to unpack real quickly, um, somebody was talking about, like, let's bring community in, let's bring their perspectives in. The way in which you do that is also part of this work, because you can cause more harm. And, and, and you, you can imagine one of the tools that we developed on our website is about imagery. And, you know, there's just so much out there. I mean, now we're in a perspective where a lot of the, the imagery is just race neutral because we want to make sure that everyone sees themselves in one image. And so now we're not even showing like cultural ethnicity in the way that we should. And so the point I'm making here is if you do choose to implement this, make sure you do it in a way that, that um, acknowledges not just people's lived experiences, but it, it, they, it, it's done in an equitable way. It's when, when we talk about equity as both a process and an outcome, this is the process side. The way that we engage community, who is the best messenger, how do you reach out, how do you, how do you take that information and not abstract it in a way that's destructive, but in a way that's reparative. You know, how do we not edit people um, or, or censor them? Like if, you, if you're going to engage community, engage them fully. Let them bring their full voice in so that your board and your donors can actually see them. The problem is sometimes we edit community voice so that it's acceptable for our peers and the organizations we work in, and then we miss the entire point. And so I definitely want to encourage people to bring community voice in. Just make sure you do it in a way that acknowledges people's humanity and that it's not tokenizing, because there's been a lot of tokenizing done um, on the backside of, of these um, of, of these statements. Uh, and, and so when, we, when we're talking about this, we mean everything from the way that you engage community all the way down to the way that you're thinking about bringing on diverse staff, which is why we emphasize lived experience because in racial equity, we talk a lot about race, but we also don't want to leave out the class aspect of that because class is really, really important. You can think you have diverse perspectives, but if you all go to the corporate dinner and you all are from the Northeast, you all went to Ivy League schools and everyone lives in Brooklyn, I don't care what the racial ethnic breakup may be, you all may still not have diversity, which is why you don't want to, um, which is why lived experience is talked about so much, because you want to know that the people you're engaging have a lived experience that's other than yours. I'm not saying that one lived experience is better than another, than someone else's, it's just important to have as many different experiences in the room as possible. Um, so, I mean, I, I want to, I know we have more content to get to, but we, we really got to start opening up for some more questions and dialogue. Yeah. We're, we're at uh, 146, and so I'm going to follow your lead on how we get to dialogue and maybe go over. Absolutely. Let's just open the floor. I, I'd love to hear questions from folks, whether you want to drop it in the chat or if you just want to raise your hand um, and we can unmute and, and have you all ask any questions or um, give any thoughts that you might have. We definitely have the hand feature. If, oh, go ahead, Nikki, you're, you're, you're up. Yeah. Um, so I think in our organization, it's like we constantly feel we have to be speaking out. We, we, 
I work for a public health nonprofit that supports, it does capacity building in, in public and population health. And so we're always thinking, okay, let's, do we need to make a statement on the issue of the week and trying to figure out how to build a process around that and operationalize it. And it's been very challenging to be able to kind of respond to everything and be out front um, and try to prioritize and keep all of the work doing. So um, I know this is actually something that the COM network of people have advised each other on through these different opportunities of showing solidarity, statements of solidarity. Um, I guess my question is, um, like, how do we evaluate uh, a when to be out front, when to when to be producing statements? And there's it seems like it's statement after statement after statement to not kind of water any one down. Um, and what's a what's just like good good process to be able to respond quickly? Okay, um, Nikki, I, I wish we had like two hours. Um, so, so the easy answer is that you need a decision tree. You need to think about like, what's your core focus? Who do you serve? What's the geographic footprint of your work? There's like five to six questions that you need answers to that then will inform a decision tree. So X issues happen. First question, is this like how mission aligned is this to both our immediate purpose and maybe our broader organizational purpose? Yes or no? And then you could almost through those six questions go down a line of, and get to, uh, get to an answer that says, should we speak out? The other thing that a lot of organizations are trying to figure out who are having the same issue is, is who do we need to speak out with? Like maybe there's times when we don't need to speak alone. Who are our partners? You know, how do we build capacity for the people that we serve? Like, what if they need to be in the front seat and you're behind the seat of them crafting something? So the easy answer is that you need a decision tree that answers five or six questions about mission, vision, purpose, and what's top of mind. Um, you also can take an alternative approach, and, and this goes back to where we started the presentation. Like, like if you're if equity and racial equity are integrated in everything you do, then it'll be less about when do I put a statement more about this, and it'll be more about like how do we activate our base around this issue. Because then you're not doing a statement to show your support, you're issuing a statement to say we're taking actions and we know you're in this work with us, so will you do X? It just depends on do you want people to take actions or is the, is the outcome of the strategy simply to still show support? Very helpful, thank you. Yeah. I just want to add one quick thing to that as well is if, if your organization is able to do like of um, an exercise on really honing in on what the values are for the organization and also honing in on who are you serving and what are the issues that impact those people, right? And really understanding that piece of it, I think that that helps in situations to not just say what is our mission, but does this allow, align with our values? because it might not necessarily align with your mission, but it aligns with your values, or it's important to the people that you serve as well. And so then there's a maybe a different type of statement that you put out in situations like that. But knowing your values is super, super important. Yeah, the intersectionalities really come into play with health, as you mm -hmm. a lot of you know, and social determinants of health is this term that we use in the health world a lot. And that really just translates to the, the intersectionalities. Um, so yes, thank you. Absolutely. We have about five more yeah, minutes, so other questions. So Ted just put a great comment in um, about amplifying others who is their core expertise. So I'm a huge believer in amplification. Um, there's also some good recommendations. The Bar Foundation definitely can endorse the Colorado Health Foundation work that we've seen. Um, some folks at some of the subgroups of the Amidia group um, have some good tools out there. So there are templates out there um, that you can look to, but you, you definitely want to still customize whatever you find, like for your specific organization so that it makes sense. Um, I'll also plug okay, we'll the COM Network DEI tool also has a tool section um, where there are examples of style guides and um, uh, other guides that you can definitely look at. So I want to answer Ann's question because uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna name my bias. I'm in Houston right now, so she is in Texas. So we're gonna answer <laughs> Ann's 
question about critical race theory. Um, so yeah, and like that, it, this is happening with a lot of organizations. And so we're telling folks three things when it comes to critical race theory. One is everyone's calling, mentioning like black, indigenous, people of color, they're calling that critical race theory. And we're telling people they need to respond with what critical race theory is and what it's not. Um, most of the research around critical race theory has to do with the legal application of law. So there, there is some connection there depending upon how you're talking about the legality of structural racism. And it has a lot to do with like what you can sue someone for and what you can't sue them for. Um, but so the first answer is like tell people what critical race theory is and then tell them what it's not so that they're empowered to move forward. Um, another thing that we're telling folks around this organization, around anti-racist messaging, is that because in this field we use a lot of jargon as anti-black, anti-racist, like there's so many evolving words, be very explicit in what you're talking about. Like, like there's no law that says that you can't say the, the black or Latino or brown kids in X neighborhood are experiencing disparities at X rate. Like, like the more specific we get, the less the CRT lens applies. When we stay with these broad terms that are open to interpretation, even when they have set definitions, that's why a lot of people are getting nervous and they're like, well, I can't talk about this and I can't talk about that. We're telling our clients, talk about exactly what you're trying to talk about. Like, say it, kids in this neighborhood, in this zip code, like this institution, like be very, very specific in naming um, the, the priority population that you're addressing in your work. The last thing that we're telling folks around critical race theory is that the, the law is passed at the state level. It's being interpreted many different ways at the school board level. So engaging locally, like taking, if you're getting pushback, go to your local school board, bring what you're, what you're working on, if it's a curriculum or a webinar, professional development, bring it to the school board, have that venue there, have parents there of the population that you're working with. Um, because school boards are really interpreting, and they're the ones deciding like what's being pulled and what's not. It's almost like the state has just kind of called called the question, and and that's it. It's it's a lot of the school boards is where this is the rubbers meet in the road. All right, Neil, we've got one minute. So if you have some parting words before we say goodbye to our friends here. No, we're just, <laughs> we're just getting started. We have so much more to talk about. Um, uh, okay, this is what I'm going to leave you all with. Um, Here's the deal. Like you all are far more powerful than you think you are. You have the power of the pen. You are designing websites. You are putting words in CEO and executives' mouths. You're designing the experience that people have when they read a report about that. Like like the onus is on you all. Like you all do have the power. Like we often talk about centering community, which I wholeheartedly believe because we still do some direct service work. But for the purpose of the day, I want you to center yourself. I want you to leave this conversation and ask yourself, what do I need to do? Is it some internal work? Is there more education that I need to do so that I can then bring my organization along? So figure out what your story, like what is your narrative? How do you pull on the, the parts of your professional experience that allow you to show up in this space better? Um, it has to be actionable, it has to be tangible, and it has to be real. Um, equity, if it's done right, is very, very specific. It's not analogous. And so hopefully you all can walk away from today and get to work. Uh, but we will be looking to see what you do because you put out a statement. So now what? Thank you all so much. Enjoy the rest of ComNet. Thank you.